Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. I remember like it was literally yesterday. So like, this is such a good story. I was still working at Jansport at the time. Mike left Jansport early to like go Oregadio full-time, meaning Mike gave up his paycheck and started <laughs> right. trying to find some speakers. So we- Today, are, are we say goodbye to a legend. Though I'm sure he hates that moniker, it's quite fitting. Jason Lukash is retiring from promo, stepping down from his role as chief development officer at HPG. Jason and his amazing business partner, Michael Simzak, founded Orgadio in 2009, and shortly thereafter burst onto the scene in our industry and within 10 years would sell over $100 million worth of product, eventually selling the company to top 10 industry supplier HPG. Now, normally, that's the end of an entrepreneur's story, but Jason's not your ordinary entrepreneur. The evolution of his career would involve multiple roles, from startup, entrepreneur, founder, CEO, senior VP of marketing, chief development officer, board member, investor, category creator, developer of over 150 products and more. If you're new to the business, his accolades are too many to name, but here's a few worth noting. He was recognized as Entrepreneur Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year, listed five times on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list, featured in Time Magazine's 50 Best Inventions. His industry awards are numerous. He was recognized as the fastest growing supplier in the industry multiple times, including ASI's Entrepreneur of the Year. Hi, friends. I'm Bobby Lee Hugh, Common Skew's Chief Content Officer. Today, I'm joined by Mark Graham, Common Skew's President and Chief Brand Officer. On Friday, when we got the notice about Jason's departure, all three of us immediately agreed to have one last conversation before Jason rides off into the sunset. There's so many lessons to learn unpacking Jason's journey, so we explore multiple areas today. We chat about Origadio's rise and what led to their amazing breakthrough and record-breaking sales. We talk about how a nimble, quirky, and creative brand sells to a larger supplier without selling out. The transformation and challenges as Jason the Entrepreneur became Jason the Chief Development Officer. How a large supplier like HPG gave Jason a creative incubator. A surprising success story about how a larger company like HPG can acquire and integrate a brand while keeping an innovative edge. How Batch and Bodega became a category creator, but also broke through the virtual walls, building across utilization of teams across a global enterprise. And of course, the difficulty in just saying goodbye and more. Today's episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the work from anywhere platform that powers your connected workflow, enabling you to process more orders and dramatically grow your sales. To learn more or to begin your free trial now, visit commonskew.com. Now, join us as we reflect on an incredible journey, unpack an amazing career, but mostly as we learn vicariously through one of the industry's most innovative minds. All right, let's jump right into it, Jason. Why the decision to leave right now? I mean, it seems like HPG is a rocket ship. It's riding high. The brand is finally coming on to, into its own. Why leave now? Yeah, HPG is and I'm like still a major huge fan of HPG. Like I'm, I'm still, I have my seat on our board. I'm still on our board here and I'm a major shareholder at HPG too. So I obviously like, I think HPG is on the cusp of great things and has been for quite some time. I think it's just time, honestly, like I'm 38. I've devoted a third of my life to this work um, over the last 13 years. Mike and I started Origadio and the initial idea was in February, 2009. So exactly 13 years ago. And, um, it's time, like, I don't know. I feel like I've done everything I possibly could have done and have accomplished at HPG and was a little burnt out. I haven't had a break in 13 years. I mean, you guys both know how that is, um, from running, you know, a marathon a day for 13 years. And I just feel like it was honestly, it's just time. Maybe I'm like going out, like, Someone says like Tom Brady retiring from football is like, okay, well, like that's completely different because Tom Brady is <laughs> in my mind, the greatest football player that's ever played the game. And I'm like, I'm a promo guy, like everyone else, like it's not a good comparison, but the good analogy was like Tom Brady just didn't want like the ceremonial send off and didn't want like the last season. And the same way, I mean, like talked about it on Thursday and then my last day was Friday and that's it. So I, I don't want like, the pomp and circumstance, even though there wouldn't be, because it's just like someone leaving a company yeah. versus 
the greatest quarterback retiring of all time. So, yeah. Well, and incidentally, it's kind of cool to be recording this with you on day one of your unemployment. So this is, right. this is pretty fun for us. <laughs> all right. Well, Jason, I want to dig into that a little bit more. Like at what point did this start? Like when, when did that little Jason voice in your head start yapping in your ear that it was time for you to start considering leaving HPG? Was it like a week ago? Was it three years ago? Tell me about this decision-making process. So we sold Origadio to HPG in September of 2018. And at that time, when we sold, I had a major liquidity event and I was in a financial position where I didn't have to work ever again a day in my life. And super grateful, obviously. You guys know me. I'm a, I'm a straight shooter. I'm like very humble, like unbelievable kind of like life changed immediately overnight. I stayed to work at HPG because honestly, I cared. And I still care, right? I cared about Origadio. I wanted to make sure Origadio was, you know, sent off to summer camp and had good camp counselors to take care of it throughout the whole summer. And I did. And I also stayed on at HPG because I I had skin in the game. I still have skin in the game as a shareholder. Um, but I I wanted to have HPG embrace creativity and they did. They invested in me. They invested in like the in-house agency I built out here in, you know, Danville in the Bay Area and allow me to be creative and create cool and awesome opportunities and experiences for the industry. And I did that. So, but I always kind of like thought back to that day one of like, I don't have to do this. I do this because I'm passionate and I like being creative, but maybe there's something else that's more important at the end of the day. I traveled consistently. Like I've, I've flown, anyone who follows me on like social media, I've flown like 1.7 million miles or whatever it is on United. And then I still fly other airlines too, but like I travel constantly and like I have two little girls, like I have a three and a half year old, one and a half year old girl, uh, two little girls and my wife's at home with them. Like maybe there's things that are more important at the end of the day than selling the latest and greatest like widget. And it kind of just kind of all came together for me. Translation burnout. Um, is that fair to say? Would you say that, you know, 38 Jason Lukash is, is burnt out and needs to kind of chill out for a bit? Am I putting words in your mouth? Um, no, I mean, I, I was burnt out during COVID for sure. Right. Like yep. the transition of like having our team in Southern California and COVID hit and getting rid of 65 people that you handpicked and hired. And look, HPG, we had to do that. It was the right business decision. Origadio was just hit hard during COVID. And it didn't make financial sense to have a facility in Southern California when we have you know HPG super facilities across the country and there's cheaper yeah. labor. Um, but that was like really hard. And that carried with me for a long time. And we like worked our ass off to throughout COVID and like after COVID's not over, but just like, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of like, kind of like trying to fix things during COVID. And yeah, I mean, I was a little burnt out, like burnt down the industry. The industry, as you guys know, has changed dramatically during COVID too. And like, I still don't think the industry's recovered. And I don't think the industry will recover for quite some time. So all of that kind of just like compounded into one. And I guess you could say burnt out a little, but I really was burnt out during COVID. Yeah. Let me ask you a bit of a sidebar question, Jason, now that you talk about COVID and you talk about org audio and also the, the timing of the sale to HPG in 2018, uh, what do you think would have happened to org audio had you not sold to HPG and you had to weather COVID full yeah. on as an independent organization? I mean, I'm just curious about that. Do you like, I think you would have solved it because I know you and Mike and your fighters and you're very scrappy and creative, but would you have made it um, in light of some of the comments you just made? It's like such a good question. And I, ironically, I talked to Mike about this. So I made my decision, talked to my wife and talked to my work wife, Mike Subzak. And, and Mike and I talked about this on Friday afternoon. We would have weathered the storm, but we probably would have done, we would have been forced to do the same thing. Like we would have had to let go of our staff. I don't think like, I wouldn't have done like everyone else and switched to selling PPE because like, I still didn't believe like, I would never deviate from my core, even if financially I had to do that. Like I wouldn't have made that pivot, but Origadio, I mean, Origadio's rebounded actually back to like pre-COVID levels as a business unit and Origadio is super strong, but also because we made some of the 
hard moves that we had to make during COVID to weather the storm. But I don't know how well we would have been able to kind of pull out of COVID if it wasn't honestly like for like HPG behind us because of all the shared resources and just like synergies that yeah. made financial sense at the end of the day. But it probably would have made an even harder impact on myself because I wouldn't have had other people to lean on like I did to HBG to weather that storm. I would have just had Mike. Right. And that that's tough. And all those moves were super tough and like having HBG and Chris and Trina and some of the senior leadership here to like to help with that. And the private equity firm 10 X behind us, like it made it a lot easier, but it would have probably been way worse. You know, it was just Jason and Mike show. I imagine. Yeah. Jason, you mentioned burnout and how much of this decision has been end of the contract, end of the buyout agreement, it reached the you know last, last mile in the last road, and how much of it is just, I really am done. And once you answer that question, Mike, real question getting to it is, how would you advise Jason Lukash, who's listening to this now, to manage himself and his business going forward better so that they can avoid hitting what, I mean, you could, you could argue this is burnout or it's a reinvention, but I'll let you answer. Yeah. I think it's both because the same thing happened to me at Jansport. I was burnt out when I started Origadio and that's how Origadio was birthed. I was burnt out of like traveling and like working on for a corporate entity. And I through all that, like I came with the idea with Mike to create speakers and like pursue a passion project. So I think maybe this would allow for a reinvention. I don't know what it is or like, Right. That'll ever happen. Right. Like, right. When my days, like, well, it's day one, but I, you know, had a dance party with my girls to fr- the frozen soundtrack this morning. So it wasn't actually my <laughs> but um, you never know, like, when that next idea is going to come. Um, but I think, like, burnout played a, like a big role in this. And, like, I, I wanted to, like, get us through, like, PPAI, which happened. Right. And, like, we had an awesome yeah. booth and, like, a really cool experience. And, like, I, I, I kind of feel like I've accomplished everything that I've, I could possibly have accomplished here at, or I got HPG, which um, makes you feel burnt out on the inside. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it will be a good like reinvention. And honestly, for me, like family first, like I have a lot of other stuff I do on the side that like, yeah, my wife and I like during COVID, because I like to solve problems, like never flip the house ever. So my wife and I decided like flip like multi-million dollar houses in the bay area like having never <laughs> why not right yeah and like <laughs> i recently became like a volunteer police officer like knowing nothing about the law enforcement industry because my dad's done it for like 10 years to be his partner <laughs> on it. so like so great like, side stuff and like i think the side stuff is more interesting because yeah. there's more dozen things for me to figure out because i've kind of i feel like i've kind of figured everything out within the yeah. walls of, you know? yeah there's something about that following those weird fascinations that really turn into something great. So take us, take us back to this. This is what's kind of fascinating about seeing your, you know, radical entry into the business and glorious exit is that many of us have watched your entire journey. Yeah. Like, so we were there at the beginning and we were here, we're here at the quote unquote end. I mean, the two so, of you we're actually like probably there at the beginning of like day one PPI when we front go seat. Like, well, that's yeah. what I'm going to ask. So take yeah. us back to that first PPAI expo where Origadio exhibited. You're on the show floor, and unbeknownst, perhaps even to you, you created quite a stir. I remember like it was literally yesterday. So like this is such a good story. I was still working at Jansport at the time. Mike left Jansport early to like go Origadio full time, meaning. Mike gave up his paycheck and started <laughs> right. trying to find some speakers. So we our our first product, we launched in August of 09. Our first product was Time Magazine's 50 Best Inventions of the Year, like uh, three months after that. And then CES called us and said, hey, CES, you know, usually back in the day would book out like a year in advance. So like, we saw you on this time list. We think it's really cool. We'll make a booth for you next to the food court at CES if you guys want to do it. So we, we did CS, but I told Mike, I was like, I think there's like another, like a corporate gift show. That's like the same in Las Vegas. Cause I heard about it from like, that. and so we got a booth at PPI. So we, we had no money. We booked like CS early on. Uh, we stayed at circus circus for like $300 a night, which was like the worst experience of my life. So I flew in and we hired, it was me and Mike. And we had a couple of our buddies like come out and just fly and like put on suits, like work the trade show booth. We didn't wear suits. And then I flew back home and then Mike went to PPI to set up on like that Monday or whatever. And I flew in Monday night 
I like called him sick from Jansport. Sorry if my Jansport boss is listening. I called him sick. Um, <laughs> we got on the show floor and we just had, we had one product, our like folding speakers. And we had like a thousand piece minimum, <laughs> like six month lead time. Good luck with that. <laughs> and like our booth looked, we set up like a living room. We actually had like a goldfish and a fish tank. So I get to the promo show. Or no, I came, I, I missed the first day because I got to, we, we moved from, this is a long story, but we moved from Circus Circus to the Excalibur, which was like leaving like Motel 6 to Carlton. Right. I remember I walked in the room and Mike's like face down on the bed and there was like business cards all over the bed and he's in the pillow. And I'm like, I didn't get a hold of him. I'm like, Mike, what happened? Like, what happened today? And he like looks up from the pillow and like looks at me. He's like, it was awesome. <laughs> I went to the show the next day and I saw like how much buzz there was about like folding speakers or whatever. And we like yeah. we prototyped the rocket that we took on Shark Tank and we had it at the show too. And he's like, it was unbelievable to see people's reaction of us like sticking the rocket in like a styrofoam cooler. And we knew nothing about the industry, right? But yeah. it was like, such a good experience. And like the industry, like the people in it coming from like retail before, like CS was like, like corporate suits, like pro industry people, like drinking beers, like dropping their, like blowing their minds, but sticking a uh, vibrations. <laughs> so right. it was amazing. And like it paved the way for the next you know decade plus of experiences within the, the uh, promo industry. So sorry, it was a long answer, but no, I, I remember, I just remember you were that, you were that entry into the, the event where people said, Hey, you, have you seen this our org audio guys? You've got to go by and see them. And then I remember your selling style distinctly, Jason. It was like, here's our really cool shit. You can buy it if you want. Yeah. And it was such a self-deprecating uh, style. Oh, and it was, it was, it was awesome. That's how I still am. And like, I feel like I'm a bad salesman because I tell the truth. I'm like, if you want to buy it, cool. Like, if not, like, don't buy a burrito. Like, do whatever you want with your own money. Right. You know? Take us back to Jason Lukash the day before he hits the expo floor. And did you, you know, it's it, this is kind of a ridiculous question, but I'm asking it for a good reason. Was your dream, did you ever envision that you would sell Origadio at what you did and where you're at today? No, no, like it started as like a side project, honestly. Like, right. We were, Mike and I had speakers that we traveled with for events at Jansport and they sucked. And we're like, let's just create like some. And like, there was no speakers built in the iPod or the iPhone didn't even exist or it did exist. Maybe there was Gen 1, but there's no like external speakers. So we're like, let's just make some speakers that were easy to travel with and like see if people want to buy it. We'll invest like 30,000 bucks was what our startup cost was for org. So let's, let's just like roll the dice and try it. But like, no. And I honestly, like, I didn't think we would be a promo company. We were retail. Yeah. Like, we catered towards retail. And then like after that first year at PPAI, I kind of like, you know, I walked the show on like Thursday or whatever once it was a little dead. And I just like kind of surveyed the industry and said like, dude, Mike, this industry is like super old school. Everyone like us has really high minimums. Like I feel, I think if we could develop something and kind of like do the opposite of everyone else here, we'd be wildly successful. And we did that. It took like a year or two. And then we like came out with like the no minimum, no setup, full digital five days thing. Like that was like yeah, yeah. 12 and the industry was like, what? I want to order a thousand. I'm like, you can, but we're going to print them in Southern California in five days or less. And that was like, that was the major pivot point for org. And it, it's so amazing because Jason, I mean, you've shared with us in the past that you guys came from retail where uh, high minimums, yeah. uh, long lead times, uh, big orders, also crazy bad terms for you too are also kind of the norm. Yeah. And you're such an interesting success story because you left all of that behind, right? All that retail nonsense behind yeah. came into promo and, but took this retail mindset and came in and disrupted this industry. And it's a really cool story. I remember you talking about some like Target payable. I mean, it might've been Target. Bed Bath & Beyond was like- right. And it was like 180 days or something like that. And just crazy. Yeah, it was like a million dollars cash. And like, I was like, dude, Mike, this is like not worth it. It's our money. Why are we financing a owl and bath store? You know, like, and then like, it was honestly like the great migration. Um, like I live in California, like the gold rush, like. People left the East Coast, corporate, retail, and went West. And it was the wild West of like promo. And like, yeah. it was such a good experience and it was so ripe for picking at the right time, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Jason, we've spoken about you being, you and Mike being these sort of shaggy haired rebels, you know, sort of California surfer dudes that got into this space. 
you know, we spoke about this idea that when you sold to Orgadio, that some of your biggest, most diehard fans kind of accused you guys of selling out, right? Selling out to the man, so to speak. And I must admit, I was one of those people. I my initial reaction was like, oh my gosh, Orgadio is dead. No disrespect to Hub. I mean, Hub, of course, was a pen company at the time, and the Flemings were phenomenal operators, but it was like, where, like, where's the synergy here? This just doesn't sound right. And you've proven all of those doubters, including people like me, totally wrong because you came into this organization and it's almost step by step, methodically kind of just put the the Jason and Mike touch on this large kind of unwieldy organization. So can you talk a little bit about proving the doubters wrong and how it is that you didn't really sell out to the man, so to speak, and, and how you made this work on your terms? Because I must admit, not every entrepreneur is able to do that. Most entrepreneurs will just take the money, they hold their nose and their baby gets killed and they move on to, you know, the beach. Um, You didn't do that. So talk to me about that. I know it's a multi-layered question, but I'm really fascinated by it. My whole life, I've, I love proving people wrong, right? And like, I love the challenge of that. And that's like no bullshit. Like, I honestly do. Like, I love just like, someone's like, you can't do this. I'm like, I probably can, but I'm going to. And I'm going to make you eat your words. <laughs> and so many people like over, it's been, we sold, what, like three and a half, four years or whatever since we sold to HPG. So many people along the way are like, I can't believe you're still here. I can't believe you're still doing this. I can't believe you and Mike didn't ride off in the sunset and Mike's also got the surfer hair. I'm like slightly losing mine, but um, we stuck through it because we care. Like we care. Like I cared about every single of the 120 different products I made and created over the last decade. Like I cared about every one of them. I cared about even like what they were named. Like we would spend months on like naming our product, which like people just use item numbers, which I still think is ridiculous, but we cared so much and like we wanted to ensure this was done proper and hub at the time was the suitor we went with because we could do the exact same thing with the brand formerly known as hub promotional group with a bright red lettered sans serif logo and i said if i'm gonna be part of this thing i want to flip this thing as well too on its head and do things a little different, which we had. And like, I've got to birth businesses and categories at HPG, like batch and bodega. And like, we have, you know, sugar spot here coming out in a week, which was, we showed at Vegas, which is like our candy thing. But I I liked the challenge of that too, of like taking this like red old school pen company and making it a force to be reckoned with, you know, a top 10 supplier within the industry and kind of put our own special sauce on it as well too. Yeah. I mean, I love that answer. I think at the end of the day, you, you were kind of at a fork in the road a few years ago. Could have just gone and retired and to the beach, so to speak, or you could have raised hell within a pretty traditional, uh, yet very well-operated company. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but you kind of know what I mean, but yeah. I'd say you're kind of going in and you're a little bit of the bull in the China shop. And I think, and I'll give credit to, to Chris Anderson as this very steady, great inspirational leader who's got a lot of operational experience that he allowed you to be that bull in the China shop. I mean, I think that Chris probably ensured that the China didn't break too much, (laughs) Uh, you know, maybe gave you your space so you could go a little crazy. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I I think that that relationship and that synergy between, between you and Chris is really quite interesting and something that I've seen I've sort of watched from the sidelines with fascination over the last couple of years. So, so credit to both you and Chris. Yeah. yeah I, I love Chris. Chris is a big reason why I stayed here and look, I actually brought Chris to this party and big fan of Chris. And I, yeah, he's like, yeah, I guess the bull in the China shop analogy is good. I was trying to think of a better one. He's like the ringmaster in the circus. And I'm like the lion that is in the cage, like trying to break out of the cage constantly. But like, <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, stay in your cage, lion. We don't want to get eaten today. And it's hard within a larger enterprise, like a thousand employees or whatever, being that innovation guy, but also like trying to figure out how to innovate within different silos and different cross-functional leaders and categories that I wasn't familiar with. Like Chris... And HPG did a good job, like allowing me to do that. And like Batch and Bodega was honestly like the first innovative or business unit that was birthed without just with it 
everything within HPG was always like siloed, right? Like individual companies that were brought on and then another individual company. Matchmatic was the first like cross utilization of teams and a first product launch or business launch by utilizing teams in different facilities or across the whole enterprise. So, and we launched it during a global pandemic, which blows my mind too. But yeah, Chris did a great job kind of like being the champion for innovation and just team Jason Lucash for many years. Speaking of the role, Batch and Bodega, all these different roles you've had, startup, entrepreneur, founder, CEO, senior VP of marketing, investor, category creator, you've developed over 120 products, you've managed teams of over 100 people, budgets over 25 million. I mean, that's a lot of different hats to wear for a guy who walked into the show going, I hope we sell some of these speakers. <laughs> of all your roles, which one challenged you the most and which role and experience was the most rewarding why well the truthful heartfelt answer is the one that's not listed which is dad (laughs) you guys know right like that's the most challenging thing i've ever done but it's also like the most rewarding thing i've ever done and like i want to be there for my kids and that's like the most important thing but anyways but back to your like business question yeah ceo because like I became the CEO and I was the CEO because I started it. But hardest thing is like managing people. And when you're CEO, you guys both know this, right? You have to wear like many different hats and like you wear hats too. You're not necessarily good at like yeah. default in charge of operation. I'm not an operational guy, right? Like, I mean, now I know a lot about operations, but like I wasn't an operational guy at HR, like I hired people at Jansport and like had interns, but like, I didn't think I'd have to hire like 65, 75 people, hundred people, however many people at our height and like manage and deal with hundred people. And like, finally as CEO, like you actually end up becoming the ringmaster or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And you're, we end up investing in the right people to help in their respective categories. But the hardest thing I had to do was be CEO because your default in charge of things that you necessarily aren't in your wheelhouse. And I think that's really hard to do. And as a CEO, you kind of have to grit your teeth and do it, but I'm not a CEO, right? Like I'm a creative product marketing innovation guy. And like, that's what I liked about HBG. I like fit perfectly in my own wheelhouse. And like Chris had to deal with the rest. <laughs> and right. People had to deal with her thing and the COO did. So it was, it was kind of like cool because I fit perfectly yeah. where it should be. Jason, what's the most surprising thing you learned about yourself as an entrepreneur or a business person during your time at HPG in the last couple of years? The hardest thing or the thing I learned the most about myself was for many years at Org, I I did what I wanted to, but I didn't actually really get to do what I wanted to. At HPG, I got to do it exactly what I wanted to, which was create and be creative. But I also learned that the flip side of it I'm a big baseball guy and I use this analogy all the time. I'm like the starting pitcher for a baseball game. I'll go out and throw like five or six solid innings. And then they bring in like a middle reliever and a closer to like finish out the game. And you like, you start it and you've got the lead going into the sixth inning, but then you pass it off to someone else. And sometimes that person closes out the game for you. Sometimes that person gives off a walk off home run and you lose the game. The hardest part in creating and innovating is you can only take it to the creation. And then I'm not an operator, right? In our business, you pass it off to the operator to operate. You pass it off to the finance team to do their part, IT part. Like I can only come up with the idea. I can't actually, I can bring the idea to life a little bit, but it's up to the rest of the team to bring it to life. And like, that's hard because you don't win every game you start out there pitching and I'm constantly pitching ideas and some aren't fit for HPG. You know, some are fit in other industries. Some are just not ever possible within HPG in the current because it relies on other teams to help, you know, get us across the, uh, the finish line there. So that's, that was, that was quite hard. And that was something I learned because before, Hey Mike, should we do this? Yeah, we should do it. And then like, we could do it because it was, we were very nimble because we were a small company. It was our own funding. But when you have lots of other cooks in the kitchen, everyone wants to kind of give their input on how recipes made. And that's not, you know, saying anything bad about HPG, just that's how it is in any big company. Sure. Right. But I never yeah. had a, kind of, you know, learn and adapt with that before. Right. Yeah. No, no, I can imagine that. Uh, that's surprising and probably frustrating and humbling all at the same time yeah. going through that process. Yeah. Tell me if there is any 
I know that you were really ambitious in terms of the kind of work that you had set out to do at HPG a couple of years ago. Is there any project that you wanted to complete that you just never had enough time in completing it? Or maybe another way of answering it is like any project that you tried to launch and it failed spectacularly, right? I mean, you can answer that question too. Yeah. Well, I can't specifically say what the project was, but I was working on it last week. And there comes a point in a project where it's like, can we actually bring this to life? Yeah, we could, but like at the expense of what, what expenses would we have to incur as a company in order to bring this live? And is the juice worth the squeeze? And you decide when you're working on a project, like can't always hit, like hit grand slams. And like, and even at org, we, we had a couple like major failures of products, like some like disaster stories. Right. And like, but we had a pretty good batting average. Right. And at HPG, I had a pretty good batting average as well, too. Again, using a bad baseball analogy, but yeah, there's, there's some projects where like, this would be perfect for HPG, but there's other factors at play, right? Like, is this a three to five year project? Does this require $20 million of capital invested in it to bring it to life? Like, at what point do you say, uh, and Chris and the rest of the board and everyone, like, is this project actually worth it for the long-term horizon of the company? So yeah, I still have some amazing ideas. And like, the cool thing is like, I'm still on the board for HPG, so I can help and make sure those ideas come to life somehow, um, directly and indirectly. But some things just aren't right to be launched and some things never will. And they end up in the, in the product and idea graveyard, you know? Yeah. Jason, you had a chance to work on a bunch of different brands within the HBG portfolio. And I'm, I'm curious as to which brand revamp of an existing company within the master portfolio you're the most proud of. Let me answer it two ways. The easiest one, because it was pretty rough how it was before, was web company transformed into Mixie because yeah. like the branding they had for web was just it was it was just bad, right? Um, so when, like when we actually bought it, we're like, dude, we could really like change, give this thing a facelift. So we did. So that was the easiest. But I'm most proud of Hub because it was so delicate. It was 70 years of history that like we didn't want to mess up. So when we rebranded Hub even though it was hub pen and we just dropped it to hub, but like the whole branding look, feel website, everything. So many loyal customers, like on day one, when we did it, like their pens are kind of old school. Like some of the customers, people are like, what is this? There's like way too many options on here. You can like see a 360 image of the pen. It spins. Like I can change, like they weren't ready for it, but I'm super proud of like what we did there. And we like preserved so much history and like legacy and like, the foundation that was laid for it. And like, I headed that up, but like, honestly, like I hate this. And like, I've gotten this for years. Like I hate getting all the credit, like to my squad, my team here, like in the Bay area, like our Casey, our creative director, Ben, who's my marketing director, like Campbell, Marissa, Jeff, like everyone who's on our team brings that SHIT to life. And like, I'm just the guy that has the initial idea, but Again, I'm the starting pitcher. You need the rest of the team to help win the game for you. Mm-hmm. And but the hub yeah, one was yeah. like pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. And I will going just going back to the web example. I just as an outsider to to the hub, looked at what you did with Mixi. And at first I was like, wow, I this is crazy. And then when I looked at it, you know, I just looked at it a little bit more detail. It just was. It was so amazing as to how you just simplified the web value proposition and just brought it all together. And sure, it's cool and it's sexy and fun and web had very traditional branding and just how you simplified the value proposition and made it fun. And then you can cut through the noise with great branding and product positioning. To me, I'm like, and I have such great respect for that. I just remember just like clapping my hands going, man, that's a great, great job, Jason. Well, thanks, man. Like we looked at their fundamental core value, which was they literally were mixing stuff. They were making yeah. lip balm and stuff from scratch and like just market your core. Like all the other stuff was just fluff and like web company is just a name, like stick to your core and let people embrace and acknowledge your core. So that's what we did, but thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about HPG and the power of their balance sheet. Right. So you at Orgadio presumably had a, a smaller balance sheet. You come yeah. to HPG and they've got private equity backing and a lot more financial uh, infrastructure to be able to support. Talk to me a little bit about how that benefited you in terms of launching new products. 
But I also want you to talk to me about how it held you back as well. So you talked a little bit about sort of managing multiple stakeholders. And so I imagine it's a double-edged sword, right? On one hand, it's, hey, we got all this cash. But on the other hand, you're like, well, you got all these dour board members that you need to do ROI analysis, whereas before you and Mike were just shooting, yeah. shooting from the hip. So talk to me about the, the good and the bad there. So the good, for sure. We launched a business with time-sensitive product, Batch and Bodega, meaning food expires. And we weren't making the food. Batch doesn't make food. We buy, and people know this, we buy from the best makers across the country, bring it into New Ulm, kit it together and send it out. But we launched a product when, or we launched a brand during a global pandemic when the business was hurting dramatically, right? Just as the whole industry was hurting. And they said, we're going to buy inventory and a lot of it for product that will probably expire in four to six months. So (laughs) thank you, HPG team, for agreeing to do that. Because if it was Jason, like, there's no way I would have rolled the dice on like our little balance sheet instead of buying like core competency product, box hands and headphones and everything that we sold. Yeah. I would have bought food that could have expired if it didn't work out to the tune of, you know, a lot of money. So that was amazing, right? To have the financial backing to do that. But also like managing a big company and a big balance sheet, you got you to gotta divvy up the funds, right? You got to invest in people. You have to invest in like, we did a huge ERP implementation and had every one of our subs, uh, subsidiaries on NetSuite, which takes a lot of time and money too. So you got to divvy up that money. So not all that can be put into innovation as much as you want to keep throwing like fuel on the fire to grow the fire bigger. You got to spend where else is needed to ensure that the wheels still stay on the on the car, right? So that's also like the bad part is there's a lot of money, but like, it's not always all going to innovation. We have to support other aspects of the business, which, you know, Chris and Kim Hayes, our CFO, like had to do and make sure and the board make sure like the money was spent accordingly, but having them invest in batch and bodega during a global pandemic, when we were down, like whatever percentage, you know? Yeah. Jason, HPG has such an aggressive growth plan, which includes acquiring or developing some of the most you know, notable brands in the business. Batch, Bodega, BCG, Beacon, Best, Debco, Handstands, Hub, Gaudio, Mixie. You learned a lot of lessons. Both of you guys know this, but you learned a lot of lessons as the acquired company after the acquisition. Jason, now you're a major shareholder and you're sitting on the board and you've been a part of probably these processes from the other side of the table. Speak to that supplier who's sitting in an org audio. What have you learned as the company who now who's doing the acquire? I learned so much from selling my business. I learned yeah. more in like the six months that like we were for sale, even though we weren't for sale, like we got multiple offers from a couple different companies, but like I learned so much about my business that I didn't actually know. Like, like what? Give us an example. Just like the like financials, like I'm a, I was an economics major, like I'm, I'm a numbers guy, like, but I didn't actually like pick apart and learn about like ad backs and like valuation based on EBITDA and earnings and like, like long-term, like Mike and I, we put together a budget, but like we didn't put together like a three-year budget or a five-year budget or like we barely put together a five-day budget, right? So <laughs> I learned so much about that whole process. And interesting is like working with Chris and the rest of the team, like have, as we've had acquisitions at HPG, like how, what to look for when evaluating business has been like such a cool amazing experience where I've done investments on my own. And like, I've, I've kind of like used what I learned at HPG to invest in a lot of real estate, farmland, like I've invested, angel invested in a couple of businesses. Like it's cool to like put on the M&A hat from the other side that I yeah. wouldn't have learned about unless I sold my company to a private equity backed company. I don't want to go too far down this path, but what do you look for? If you're looking for like, are there a couple of key markers for you? I'm a big component of like, you bet on the jockey, not the horse. So like the Mm. people in the saddle, like you got to invest in good people and the right people because like the horse is, could eventually run its course, right? Like after like three years of, I guess now I'm using a horse racing analogy after like three years of racing, but like the jockey is probably going to have a storied career and probably like switch horses multiple times. So bet on the person, right? So like I've done that in a couple of the investments I've made and that's been great, which is probably also the reason what, HPG saw on like Mike and I, they bet on the jockeys, right? As well. But that was a big one. And I I love sectors that lack innovation because like if there's a business that's doing something differently in a category that lacks innovation and they're innovating a little, imagine once you get like the right people uh behind the jockeys in the race, like they're only gonna help like actually grow that thing even faster. That's as well. cool. Yeah. I want to talk about the distributor side of the business and 
Jason, you've you've been a supplier your whole time in this industry. You've worked with a ton of distributors. Let's say you were to come back as a distributor. How would you differentiate yourself? What kind of distributorship would would you start knowing what you know now about what what separates the good ones from the bad ones? Yeah, what's interesting, and I'm sure you guys have seen this too, is like I noticed this at PPAI. I think COVID weeded out a lot of like the the riffraff in good ways or bad ways. But if I had to come back as a distributor, I I would come back as like a full service value add distributor because no offense to the promo peddlers, like the promo peddlers, like the, hey, Johnny, you want to see like the new latest grace dumps the suitcase on the table today? Like I've run into a bunch of those just as you guys have over the decade. Like what's the value add? Like if I'm a buyer at a corporate entity, like I'm buying swag, like what are you doing for me? I think the distributors that also cater towards the new buyer profile, which is like, I'm like a millennial, but like I'm on the cusp, like catering towards like the millennial that wants to make like quick decisions, doesn't want to like come in and see the latest and greatest once like a really like curated Pinterest board sent to them or like something that's like a little more catered towards their demographic is going to do better. So I'd probably figure out like what additional value add can I bring besides just promo, whether it's like maybe building online stores or uh, like merchandising strategies and like brand direction or graphics or whatever else it is, I would do that. And I would really like build my whole business around the person I'm trying to sell to versus building the business for how I think it should be built. Now, Jason, when, when someone exits a business or an industry, they typically find a lot of boldness in their opinions because there was little to no implication, right? For when they're leaving, we all know this, but most people live a life of careful reserve about their strongest opinions, but you've really never withheld that. I mean, you've always been a pretty even keel, but opinionated person. Is there a topic or a question that we can address here on your way out that you haven't talked about that you wanted to? Jeez. Um, this whole thing's been like just super weird, by the way, like just like leaving and you just like, don't know. I mean, look, we're doing this. This is Monday, February 7th or whatever. Like this is going to be aired later. Like no one even knows this is happening yet. So right. it's just like, people say nice things about you, which is weird, which I was saying earlier. Like, I don't know. There's no topic that's like off limits and like um, an open book, as you guys know. But the whole thing's just been, it's just weird because it's, yeah. it's new. I think there's an answer there. I think it's just, it's a strange feeling to be suddenly leaving something you invested so much heart and soul. Cause you, that's the thing. That's why it's weird because you, you know, it's one thing if you just cashed your check and went home and you'd been, I won, but then you have all these other emotions that are tied up with this. That's why it, that's what makes it weird. I think um, weird in a cool way. I think the unknown is what makes it weird too. And- yeah. Like I'm 38, I got a shitload of fight left in me, right? Right. Yeah. right. It's just like, what battle do I want to fight in, right? What do I want to do? And like, I don't know, you know, like I want to spend time with my kids and my wife. And like, I'm a big biker. Like I want to bike and like do all the things you couldn't do. You guys know this. Like I want to like flip more houses. I want to like patrol the streets of Danville with my dad on Friday nights in a police uniform. Like I want to make kids toys, like whatever it is that I come up with next. Like I want to be able to do those things and not like stress about a nine to five, 40 hours a week and having so much pressure on like coming up with the latest and greatest. I want like freedom. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's great that you discovered this moment, Jason, before you started to resent it. Right. Because this is not a financial thing anymore. This is about lifestyle. It's about freedom. And, you know, if, if I, recall a few years ago when when we were Catherine and I were selling right sleeve it sold it at a time where we still loved that business and i still love the distributor business and in many ways i feel we run common skew almost like a distributorship in terms of how it is that we think about promotional products and all the products that we do for ourselves but i always knew that it would be such such a crime i don't know if that's the right word but it would just be so unfortunate if we got to the point where we started hating right sleeve. And at that point, your mindset is like, just get rid of this terrible business. And, and we were the exact opposite of that. We just loved, loved, loved what we were doing, loved the people and knew that it was an incredible opportunity for us to move into the software business that we had started years before. And it was an, it was an incredible moment and it was emotional. It was sad and all that stuff, but there was no resentment. There was no, like, I hate this moment. And it sounds like you're exactly the same way. Whereas maybe 
you know, if you'd stuck around for another two years and, and then at that moment, you'd start presenting and you know, your kids are getting older and you're like, I don't care about the money, but I hate this. And then, you, and then you're the grumpy guy who shows up at expo and yeah. you're like really upset in the booth. And it's like, Oh, Jason, remember he used to be happy. What's wrong with him? Yeah. Who's that, who's that upset rich guy over there? Right. And <laughs> Scrooge McDuck sitting there in this pile of money in the corner. Yeah. Exactly. So anyways, that, that I just wanted to share that experience, but uh, that was just more of a comment. And, and I, I salute you for that. It's exactly right too, because do I still have the twinkle in my eye that I had for many years? I don't know. Like it twinkles in a different way. And I love Oregon. Like people, what's hard is like, I haven't actually been involved in Oregadio for probably two years, right? Like um, since like after COVID, we shut it down. Like I kind of like moved into the chief development officer role at HBG and like kind of like did things a little differently. And Mike was like the face. Mike was on the front lines of Oregadio every day. But I, like people still like, if they can't get a hold of someone or like, I'm still like in distributors, like phone systems to check inventory. I'm like, we got a lot. I, Cause I don't even have access to like, <laughs> I didn't have access right. to that or whatever, but like I cared. Right. And like, I, I didn't resent it. And I, yeah, I think you're, the right sleeve analogy for you is like exactly kind of me too. I, I didn't want to be that guy like three years from now and be like, man, I hate this. I hate this industry. I hate these people. Like I'm going to sit here in my kiddie pool of dollar bills in the corner of the booth and just watch, you know, right. because like, I love, I mean, you guys know this, like our industry, the people are like amazing. And there's also the people where the grumpy people will expo mark that show up and you're like, man, what's Mark doing here again? You know, but like, our industry is like all about people and the suppliers that do well and you guys know this do well in this business are likable people that take care of the distributors because we're only as good as each other. And like, the industry's been so good to me and there's so many amazing people, like friends forever. Like you guys too, like people I've met in this industry where like, I will stay in contact with no matter what. And hopefully check inventory for something 10 years down the road from now, even though I don't know how to, just because you want to <laughs> help get you to the point where you are today. So, right. So Jason, I want to, I want to zoom out to 30,000 feet here and I want to talk a little bit about the industry in the last couple of questions here for you. So what do you think is the biggest threat to the promotional products industry based on what you've seen over the last 13 years and particularly over the last three, four years being with one of the larger suppliers? What do we have to worry about? Well, I would have said COVID, but COVID hurt the industry, but this industry is pretty resilient. And that's what I learned during COVID is like, and this industry can pivot fast. Like look at all the influx of capital that came in in the form of like PPE. Like mm-hmm. the industry is so good. Like it's like right when you couldn't get COVID tests anywhere, like immediately, mm-hmm. like every promo supplier is selling COVID tests and like yeah. you pivot so quickly. Like this industry has been solid for what, since like, I think Kirby Hossam and like, told me it started in Coshocton, Ohio in like the 1800s with campaign buttons. Someone would have to verify the source, but this industry has been around for such a long time and continues to. And that I think is like super, super promising. But on the flip side, this industry lacks big time in doing, or this industry keeps doing things the way it's been done forever because it's safe and safety is a bad thing, right? So unless you can embrace change, like do things completely different and think of new ways and don't just keep doing things the way that you've done it before, just for the sake of doing it. Like that's a threat to the industry. And everyone talks about consolidation, like consolidation is consolidation that happens in every industry, but keeping stuck in your ways is not a good thing. Right. And I think the industry needs to continue to evolve. And I think Dale, is the right guy to lead PPI and Tim's done a great job at ASI and you guys are on the kind of like the new, I'll call it the neutral party front have done a phenomenal job too. I think there needs to be more of a neutral voice for the industry as well too, but the industry is resilient and the disruption that happens is amazing. And I can, I I hope to God that there still continues to be major disruption in this industry because it's what changes the industry for the better. How, how about the flip side of that question? How about the biggest opportunity for the industry? I think technology, honestly, like this isn't a common scoop plug, but tech tech is going to change this industry because like we still get orders like faxed to us, like hard part, like what? <laughs> like why? It costs us more money to figure out how to process that order than 
anything else like technology hooks, like company web stores, POD. Like I'm a huge fan of print on demand. Like I, I consider myself a mass customization print on demand wizard and like print on demand and the ability to like go quick is awesome. Like I'll tell you five days production, that ain't fast anymore. Three days production, that's not really that fast anymore. Like same day flips from multiple facilities across the country, like 3D printing on demand, like the Amazon approach of having it delivered within an hour, like that's going to change the way this industry operates from an, like an operational product delivery perspective. Should have drones start delivering promo products? Like I think technology is going to change this industry for the next decade to century. And I hope it happens really, really rapidly. We think you're right about that. <laughs> I hope so. If you did, I don't know who else would. So. <laughs> so we flirted with this question a little bit before, Jason, but uh, do you think we will see you again in the promotional products industry? And if so, in what capacity? You never say never, right? So yeah, like this industry, it's a people first industry. And I love the people in this industry. Like there's so many just like good, genuine people and just like so many hilarious people. Like I will just name drop like the Kevin Mullaney. You don't find a Kevin Mullaney in any other industry, but the problem yeah, is he's an original for sure. <laughs> right. All over the Kirby or so many people on that list that like you come back to work with good people in a good industry that is good to you. So I don't know, but like family first and getting the ability to just like think and breathe and think about like the next complex problem I want to solve is probably what I will do next, but will it be in the pro industry? You never know. What a great way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> great close. Jason, man, thank you so much. Thanks for breathing so much fresh air into this business and this industry. You've inspired so many. I know I speak on behalf of many of us and it was hard for you to take and it's a little awkward and strange, but man, it's been an honor and to be a part of your journey in a very tiny way. Well, thank you. It means a lot. I've, I've cried, I've laughed, and I've learned things in the last couple of days. And I appreciate you guys having me on and having this be the platform to share my message. It's not like something bad happened, but just share the message and preach the truth like I've always done. And I appreciate you guys having me as always. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community dot com and skew dot com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.